0: Thank you for dropping by the Texas Greek Life Podcast, the only podcast today that's covering the real stories on college campuses in Texas that affect Greek Life members all across the great state of Texas. We're going to be bringing you interviews, exclusive interviews, with chapter presidents of fraternities and sororities, chapter advisors, as well as alumni who have uh, drawn on their college and uh, fraternity and sorority experiences to help them later on in life. In bringing you those stories that are relevant and current and are actually affecting people today. So uh, that's the theme of the podcast. We're kicking it off with a bang for our very first episode. We have the former president of Tau Kappa Epsilon at University of Texas at Austin. Um, his name is Nate Carlson, and he has a really interesting story because what happened at his chapter, and I know it's a story that you know we're probably all familiar with, or have at least heard of it happening to some other fraternity or sorority is. The fraternity or sorority is going downhill. Nationals comes in, has to clean house and uh, you know remove the members, and it's, it's really scary for that chapter, and they've got to try to rebuild themselves up from scratch and revivify and revive their image on that campus and start again from zero and recruit brand new pledge classes. Um, Nate Carlson did that here at University of Texas with TKE to great effect. And he has a really interesting story to tell of how he was able to do that and how he's currently working to rebuild his chapter's presence at University of Texas. Uh, I really appreciate you stopping by. I hope this is an interesting story and provides some insight and entertainment for you. Thanks. My name is Zach. I'm here with the Texas Greek Life podcast. We're here with the former president of the UT chapter of Talk at the Epsilon, of which I was a member. Back in the day, although I'm, back in the day. <laughs> I'm not too old yet, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually joined about, um, man, that's crazy. I guess it was eight years ago now. Yeah, that sounds about right. So that makes me feel a little old. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was a member of this chapter, joined about eight years ago. It was a tremendous fraternal experience for me <clears throat> where I made so many deep relationships and got so much more enjoyment and for. Fulfillment out of college than I would have otherwise mm-hmm. that it, it was just incredible um, I kind of distanced myself from the fraternity and was less involved for a period of Quite a while now honestly, uh, yeah. maybe three or four years that was mostly because I was starting my first company and it's brutish brutally, you know Difficult and I had to work, you know, 80 or 90 hours a week and I had crises a series of crises mm-hmm. at that company like you do when you're when you're growing a business um, That required all of my attention and effort um and i saw some things i didn't like about the fraternity um about some of the members that they were letting in towards the end, it just you know tke for me was always about a group of guys that i wanted to be around and that i wanted to be like and that i wanted to kind of grow up as a man together with these people that i really truly respected and so a lot of that was lost when i saw the types of members that i didn't want to be like you know right Um, even though they were younger and i was trying to I was supposed to be there to help them. I just, uh, the quality of the membership went down, and so I became less involved for those two reasons. And so I'm really heartened and inspired, and I think uh, a lot of other alumni of our chapter feel the exact same way that, you know, you, you guys are building such a great group of guys. And from everyone I met there the other night, um, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. So I think that the guys um, that you guys are bringing in is, uh, right now are really great. And we're just here to give some backstory and talk about how our fraternity chapter um, you know, started and then uh, you know, got closed down because originally because there was a fire, mm. yeah. <laughs> which is a really random reason. And then about how uh, they had a problem that a lot of other fraternities experience, you know possibly sororities, too. I don't know as much about sororities, where the membership goes down, they run into some troubles, they lose their house, something mm-hmm. goes wrong. And they lose the quality of members, and they've got to uh, have nationals coming in and do evaluation and say, like, hey, we got to kick all these guys out, and we got to start afresh. And I think you guys have done that in a pretty successful fashion, and it's a really interesting story for other people. So that's why we're trying to share it on this podcast, you know, the Texas Greek Life podcast. We're hoping that um, older members of, of our fraternity or other teE chapters or other fraternity chapters um, will gain insights from this or uh, just give them some helpful information and some, some interesting stories.
1: Right. And going back to what you said about the house burning down, uh, that was, you know, when we look back at the history of Teak, uh, it's very prevalent that the house was just such a cornerstone factor of every step of its progress. Yeah. Every step of its, you know, when, it, when they had a great house, the chapter was doing really well. And I think that's something you'll see among Greek life, just permeated throughout all of it. anywhere right. you go... A lot of how the chapter is doing, how any fraternity's chapter is doing, is going to revolve around their housing situation, right? Because that's what people see when they see a house; they see the letters on it. And that's exactly what they're going to associate you with, right? Uh, people are going to go to the house, and they're going to exp- That's a lot of what people uh, look for. It's a big resource. Um, offering housing to your members is a great incentive for people to join. Uh, it's going to contribute to your brotherhood because you have a place for members to congregate, and so coming in, we knew that was going to need to be, when we came back to start this third iteration of the chapter, we knew that securing housing was going to be the first step. Um, But kind of going back and talking about the history of Teak a little bit.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the history of Teak, because the housing thing is really interesting. And that'll probably be the latter half of the podcast. So what what I want to do is just orient people that are listening to this, that are just listening to it randomly. I kind of gave a little spiel that might give some backstory. But Mm -hmm. we're talking about a fraternity chapter at University of Texas Right. Um, here in Austin. University of Texas is a really big school. Um, 50,000 students? Right, it's one of the biggest, most prestigious schools in Texas um, and uh, it has a really active Greek life, mm-hmm. although that's had some, a little bit of problems in the kind of current uh, political, social yeah. <laughs> environment. Yeah. Uh, fraternities are increasingly frowned upon, but in general it's, it's a really cool uh, Greek life community we have here at University of Texas and so we're talking about that chapter and uh, we are both, uh, I'm alumni he's a current member um, and we're, we're talking about the history of our chapter and uh, more specifically we're going to get into some lessons about rebuilding a, ch- a chapter from scratch. Mm-hmm. So let's tell the history a little bit, we were chatting about it right before we, we started hitting record and uh, our chapter uh, for our own personal story was started back in the 1950s
1: yeah, it started somewhere around uh, 55, either 54 or 56, because it was an even-numbered year. But uh, the then, chapter kind of went from there, and it, it grew really well, yeah. because uh, fraternity life was still pretty young at UT, and they were able to kind of get in early and start to grow their chapter and do really well. Yeah. Uh, they had a very nice house located in West Campus, which is the really popular area that all the student housing is in. Um, and this was at a time when Austin was still a, a very small town. It was right. still a drive-by city where the state capital just happened to be located. Was it was crazy. nothing like the booming metropolis we know it to be now. Yeah. And so, you know, they've got, our alumni have stories of going out on the back porch of the house and trying to shoot out the stoplights with a shotgun <laughs> just because it was a small little college town. Nobody was paying attention to what was going on. Yeah. Um, but if you go find that house they're looking at now, it's got skyscrapers on either side of it. Um, and the actual building's still there. There's another fraternity that's uh, living in that house, I'm fairly certain. Um, but there are several different properties that T has been located at in West Campus over the years.
0: Right, and I was at the second one or the third one or something?
1: So the that, that was the second house they were at, because the first one originally um, that they had starting in those back in the 50s, Yeah. Uh, they had it for a good while, and there was a weird summer where five fraternity houses burned down in one summer.
0: Right, and up to that point, they built themselves up it was a really cool fraternity like in the top yeah they're probably top fraternity. third
1: yeah. they're top tier of chapters at ut at that point right they're their, a really their large house large burned chapter. down yeah the house burned down and they it was just a freak accident they don't even really know how it happens yeah just that their house burned down and a, a four other fraternity houses burned down within you know a two or three month time period
0: yeah and so did the chapter uh like lose its members then or have to get restarted or what yeah, happened?
1: A lot of that is just you lost like those things I listed earlier just all once the house burned down it didn't come back and a lot of you know the chapter kind of just kind of once that central point of holding things together disappears like that the chapter just kind of slowly falls apart.
0: And was there any teak chapter at University of Texas um, until like 2003?
1: No so that that burned, that fire happened sometime in the late 80s and once the, the chapter kind of fizzled out, it was gone for most of the 90s up into the early 2000s when it was started back up in the fall of 2003. Right. And that's kind of where we've been running from since then. And then coming back up into uh, my iteration, we had, you know, about, I think, 12 years maybe, 15 or 12 to 14 years. Uh, where it was going pretty strong, and then towards the end, they started to run into some more trouble.
0: Right, and uh, so we're about to get to there, and that's where we get to how they restarted and right. had to start from again from scratch. I just want to add some context for myself when I was there. I'm still yeah. there, whatever, but I mean when I was in college. Um, when I joined in, in spring of... I don't remember. I don't remember if it was fall of 2010 or spring of 2011. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell from my pictures. Um, but uh, I think it was either fall or spring of of 2010 um, or spring of spring of 2011, I was PI class. So Mm -hmm. that was like the uh, 16th class. So we're about eight years into it. Um, And the fraternity wasn't like up there with SIGAP and I don't know, Fiji or something as, as far as like, but that wasn't what I was looking for. As far as like the biggest, most prestigious, like fraternity that had the like, you know, strongest name and brand on campus, I guess, for lack of a better term, Um, but it was like 65 or 70 guys that I really looked up to that I wanted to be like these guys and uh, that were respected on campus and had tons of friends and could mix with other major uh, sororities and like were really upstanding people and they were fun and laid back
1: just kind of your um, classical fraternity. There. Classical fraternity.
0: Yeah. They were awesome. They had that house there on uh, Nueces Street. Right. Yeah. Which for how small the house was, like in fraternity house terms, mm-hmm. it was it was it was popping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that house had an incredible, yeah. incredible atmosphere uh, for parties and tailgates and uh, so many memories were mm-hmm. made in that house for so many people that they'll really treasure for a long time. It was it was an awesome house. Um what happened in that house is that uh, we didn't own it.
1: Right. That was just a lease.
0: Right. So yeah. that is a situation you do not want to be in. That That's a key mm-hmm. thing. I mean, you might want to do that as a stepping stone, but I think that was huge for us because we didn't own it. We were leasing. Mm-hmm. We felt like we basically owned it, but right. you know, we, we didn't. So um, they, uh, I can't remember exactly how it went down, like some specifics, but it, it got bought out essentially to uh, be like bulldozed essentially right um or do they keep it
1: there it's still there but they're it's used as a co-op now so it's it's no longer a place that some organization or group of students is leasing right uh, a company has bought the, the the property and uses it to Got typically it. lease it. i it thought they were maybe
0: thinking about bulldozing it. anyways they, they bought it and built uh that uh new like fisai house right next mm-hmm. to it yeah is that right yeah yeah so um Anyways, our fraternity wasn't in that house anymore. We had kind of like a backup house <laughs> right. or whatever you want to call yeah. it uh, that, that held. But it was, it was way smaller. It wasn't as in a central location, mm-hmm. which was so important for Rush. We were right there, like, you know, close to get to um, yeah. in a noticeable spot. And uh, the location was huge. And I think it already started to hurt us when we were in that house. The other house was smaller. Um, it just it wasn't the same. I think that, that hurt recruiting-wise. And some, somewhere along the way... You know, it was like a Steve Jobs thing. You know, like A players hire other A players. Yep. A class fraternity guys recruit other A class fraternity guys. If you ever let them recruit B class guys, then it's like just a matter of time because those guys will recruit, you know, C players, and mm-hmm. those guys will recruit D guys, and it, it just gets worse and worse. And what was uh, really disheartening is, uh, you know, kind of my freshman or uh, I mean, my my senior or super senior year, um, I just for the first time had noticed like, you know, a good percentage of of guys that were in there mm-hmm. that, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, I just wouldn't want to have, you know, my name like clearly associated with them. Right. And uh, it it it's really hard to describe. It's just like culture at a company.
1: Yeah. You know, it's That's really really yeah. hard
0: to describe because uh there wasn't any one objective factor that was wrong with them or something it was a factor of like you know drug usage not uh not really having high academic standards mm-hmm. um just not being driven upstanding people you know exactly yeah. um and then i think that was a critical critical time period um, if you can help me fill in some gaps, what happened after that to when the chapter had to be restarted?
1: Right. So they were in the house that, that you talked about on Nuices for a good amount of years. Uh, it was really hard. They never actually got settled into a property. Ideally, you would want to buy a property because that's how you can kind of take your own fate into your hands. Right. But with Austin booming so much through the 2000s, property just kept getting more and more expensive and right. made it impossible to ever uh, make that move. And so uh, eventually they did get pushed out of that building, like you said, and they moved over up um, kind of almost in north campus, over like just behind the Fiji house. Right. And they were there for maybe two years until they ended up getting in some sort of legal battle with their landlord. And by that point, you know, they'd come to the point where they was talking about, like the guys you said, where uh, it kind of devolved in terms of recruitment standards and the recruitment classes were falling to only, you know, two or three guys a class. The chapter is right, struggling. You're at, at that point. Yeah, and so basically, uh, nationals looked at this and the alumni looked at this and said, "This chapter is struggling. It's basically failing, and now they're in a legal battle with their landlord, and they're going into debt, and it's just a mess. Like we gotta, we gotta shut this down and, and start over." Right. So uh, they came in and and basically essentially cut a deal with all the members, saying, "Hey, if you will all just step down and leave and basically go inactive until you reach alumni status." Uh, we'll take care of all this debt problem for you, and then we're just going to start the chapter over. And so, you know, they pretty much all took that deal and said, okay, we'll get out of this debt that we put ourselves into and just sit it out until we graduate. And uh, they started the chapter over. And so that whole deal was struck in the spring of 2016. Okay. And I came in for my freshman semester the fall of 2016. So we were technically never even off campus between the second iteration and the third iteration of the chapter that we're in now. Yeah. Uh, because one, they kept one member who was uh, ironically the treasurer at the time, uh, <laughs> named Stitch. <laughs> and. Uh, well, I know Stitch. Stitch. yeah, like a guy. Stitch yeah. is like... He's he's really smart. He's working in banking up in Dallas now. So cool. he's he's a really smart dude. Um, he was just trying to hold together a really sloppy m- situation as it kind of fell apart. Oh yeah, house awesome of cards. Yeah. So. Uh, Stitch stayed on uh, going into his senior year and stayed around with us for one more year. And because his name was still on everything to maintain uh, the charter, the student organization status on campus, all that stuff, we didn't have to go through the whole process of becoming a colony again and trying to earn a charter. We just retained that and basically started everything else over. Yeah. So, it's the same thing that would happen with a larger chapter when you go through a membership review where, you know, Nationals will come in and interview guys and say, okay, this, this, and that dude got to go. We don't like them. Uh, but to a much more drastic standard uh, where pretty much everyone left.
0: Okay, and that's what I want to pick apart because that's really the uh, one of the most interesting aspects of this, which is uh, what do you do when you're starting at zero? And then I think one other interesting question is when should Nationals – course we're just two random guys with our own opinion but yeah. you know when do you think i think that was a healthy thing that Absolutely. they restarted i totally agree so you know what, when do you think that that needs to be done when what are the telltale signs you see in a fraternity yeah. uh for that you know what do you think
1: so a good thing a lot of people will sort of complain about some of the standards that national sets up for them with you know raising money for, for the philanthropy and doing service hours and meeting membership goals and going to all of these uh Leadership seminars that the organization sets up. Yeah. And they're just kind of something that everybody, I guess you could say, begrudgingly does, just because they know it's it's part of the experience to become a better leader and all that. And some chapters really like it. Uh, me and Vinay Regala, who was our historian at the time, um, went up to Indianapolis for a seminar. I think our the spring of twenty seventeen. Yeah. And it was really productive. We learned a lot of good stuff, and we've been trying, you know, to push ourselves and still hit those philanthropy. Uh, Uh, fundraising goals and hit the service hours goals and all those things. Um, But those are usually the first things to go when a chapter starts to head downhill. Do you
0: think those are valid indicators? They're valid
1: indicators, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's it's something that, you know, you at least have to understand is important. Yeah. And once you kind of start to reach, because a lot of what causes a chapter to go downhill is is selfishness permeating through the chapter. Yeah. Where it's all about how much, you know, partying I want to do, uh, how many girls I want to get with, you know, how much money I have to pay for, in dues in order to stay there. And so that's when you start seeing problems of of guys not paying dues and then, you know, funds aren't being sent to nationals and nobody can pay for any of the events to happen. The chapter's taking on debt because nobody's paying their dues. Uh, the chapter's not reading, reaching fundraising goals. There might even start to be bad things happening where, you know, people are committing, you know, terrible things like raising money for philanthropy and then skimming some off the top because, They've got debt to pay off. Right. Uh, it's not something that happened with Teak, but it's something that I've definitely heard of happening with Greek organizations, where um, people start to get desperate because the organization's falling apart. Right. So once those goals stop, starts start to you know not be met. Yeah. And it, it starts to get worse and worse. That's a good sign that everything's heading downhill.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think it goes back to recruitment for that, um, because if you're recruiting great guys. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, you can maintain those kind of selfless or not not so self-centered people in the organization. But it is really tough, too, because it, that kind of depends on housing. It's all intertwined. Yeah. It's it's so hard to recruit members, you know, without a house. And I can't wait to talk to you about that part. Um, but, uh, yeah, I agree. And then at some point, um, I think, you know, Nashville just has to come in and, and restart it, and that'll re boot the alumni engagement mm-hmm. the the brand on campus you know which might take a little while and right. then ultimately you know the membership and the type of men that are being produced at that chapter
1: yeah and that was you know the first thing that we kind of had to do the first two things were okay how, how do we change Steak's image and how do we start recruiting yeah like the first thing I came in and I realized once I, I agreed to start the chapter which I guess we can talk about that oh yeah that. for sure but uh, the first thing I realized was when I went on that that website Greek rank was the most there was no there was no comments within like six years except for one there was like one comment from like the semester before and it was something like haven't heard from teak in the while teak in a while i heard they got kicked off campus because someone was selling cocaine out of the house oh, nice. which was just totally not true yeah. and i, I kind of look on there and i'm like yeah that's not going to help us at all yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i i ended up getting in contact with the website administrators and, and getting it removed but um it's just it's changing the image of of what a chapter is perceived to be is definitely pretty hard because uh, you know the, those first two semesters were a lot of oh like don't y'all have a house over there and it's like no not anymore <laughs> and so it's it's a lot of because you know usually it's when you're talking to older people with your fresh as new classes or freshmen come in it's a bit easier to see them and they don't really know anything anyways yeah so you can start to Tell them what's actually happening. Yes. Yeah. that's what matters because as you go on and your chapter grows, more and more of those people who knew the old teak graduate and move on. Right. And so that's that's kind of the easier part of things.
0: That's that's the that's the advantage you have about people coming in for four mm-hmm. years, leaving. You can use that to your advantage, which is great. Exactly. Um, so where do you fit into all of this? How did you? get talked into starting this chapter again what, what yeah happened?
1: so i'm i'm an out-of-state student i'm from orange county california cool. uh which is not most of the students at the university of texas no the university that. of texas is more than 90 percent in-state students right and um when i came into ut i i just did Greek crush because i figured it'd be a great way to meet some guys to be friends with right and it was i met some really cool dudes who were on in different chapters and uh i still talk to them but uh Eventually I realized, you know, I had a bid to one or two fraternities and I was like, Well, I'm an out of state student, like I just can't afford to accept this. Like I don't have the money to do that.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was actually on my way to another rush event when I ran into uh the director of fraternal services and the president from Texas A and M's Teak chapter who were on campus looking for guys to start over the chapter with. Um So you just ran into this guy? I just ran into them. There are out there. Uh it was so Corey Martin who actually just left Teak. He's working with, uh, I think, the Policeman's u- Police Officer Union in uh, Indianapolis now. Okay. And, um, uh, Joey. Uh, Joey, um, oh, I can't believe his last name is skipping me right now. No, that's okay. But, uh, Joey was, he's he was this founding president at Texas A&M where he'd gone through the same thing two years prior to me. Uh, and so the Pi Ada chapter at Texas A&M is, uh, I think in their fourth year now. Wow, and okay. And they've grown really well. I think they're, they're pushing to get to a 100-man chapter this year, and they're well on their way to doing it. And so they're a great group of guys. We've we've gone out and played flag football with them because, you know, Texas and Texas a and don't, play that rivalry football game anymore, so oh, we figured we might as well go out and nah, whip their ass anyways. That's but, legit. Uh, I don't know if I can Oh no, you can say <laughs> whip their ass. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, we didn't though actually. They beat us. They, it was a really close game and they was beat good. us the last minute touchdowns. So. When is
0: that game? When are you guys
1: doing it? Uh, we usually try and do it sometime around November, Thanksgiving when it used to be. Nice. Uh, I think we played it this year in like the second week of November. Uh, so we drove over there and played them uh, at Texas A&M, and just next year they're going to come out here and play us. And we're probably going to try and time it up where we can get an alumni tailgate going or something like that. Wow, well, I'm definitely so, there.
0: And you're going to beat them this time, right? We will.
1: Yeah, we've got more <laughs> athletes. We've been recruiting strong football players. Uh, <laughs> okay. we have the Combine this spring coming up, so we'll see how people do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. Um, so that's how you randomly... And then why did you
0: accept, like, how did the conversation go?
1: So, yeah, so at first I was just kind of... I dismissed them the same way I was dismissing most of the other offers to join a fraternity. Um, they were just kind of, we were playing Can Jam, and I'd asked them if they'd ever played Spike Ball. And they were like, oh yeah, we we're trying to get a Spike Ball set to play with, but yeah. we didn't have it. And so I was like, well, y'all yeah, can borrow mine. Yeah. And so basically it just ended up, the only reason I, was, I still stayed connection, connected with them was because I lent them my spike ball set to continue recruiting the next day. Okay. Where literally I came up on my skateboard, handed off my spike ball set to Joey. He was like, all right, have fun, and left again. Yeah. And from there, I think they were just kind of like, this guy's pretty cool. Like, he's just willing to be a chill dude like that. Yeah. And um, I got a text saying, hey, man, you want to go get Chick-fil-A? And that's the way to my heart. So, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I was going to say yes. And right. I remember standing in line with, uh, Joey and, or sorry, Corey, Corey was in line with me. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how, you know, it's just a cool opportunity. It's not something that comes along for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's a great way to actually develop real leadership roles because, you know, basically up to that point, the only leadership experience I had was being team captain of my football team. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can tell you as a team captain of your football team, you don't develop a ton of leadership skills just because you've got coaches there. And the coaches are the ones who are actually organizing, everything that's going on, your job is just to, you know, It's like an intro to leadership course. Exactly. It's intro walk. to leadership. <laughs> yeah. Being the president <laughs> of attorney is just, it's jumping from intro to leadership to advanced leadership in technical fields, whatever. <laughs> like it's, it's a huge leap in yeah. terms of responsibility and, uh, I mean, basically responsibility is all it comes down to right. with, with leadership. So, um, but he was, he was telling me about how, like it was, it's a great way to get involved. You get to know all the alumni really well. You get to know, you know, you get to build your own organization, have your own brand of exactly what you want, which for me was big because a lot of the fraternities I had, you know, they're some cool guys, but I just didn't feel like it totally fit with their culture. Right. And being able to do my own thing from scratch, I could ensure it was what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And between, you know, those three reasons, that was about all it took to get me on, on board. And Joey came in and sealed the deal, just telling me about his experience and like, how it's affected him and how he's really appreciated going through the whole process. And this is, uh,
0: just to make sure I'm, I've got my orientation right, this is Joey, who started the TK chapter? Yes, now? I take him. Wow, that's cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to uh, talk to him after this, by the way. Sounds like yeah. a really interesting guy. Um, okay, so you accepted this challenge, um, mm-hmm. and, uh... What did they say your role was? You're just the uh, founding something?
1: Yeah, so they, they basically said, like, yeah, you will you can be the president or whatever you want to be. Yeah. Uh, just go try and find one or two dudes who can start the chapter with you. Okay. And so I remember him being like, yeah, go find some people who can do this with you. And thinking, I don't know anybody. Like, <laughs> I just got here from California. I, the only people I know are my cousins who live in Dallas. Yeah. And my grandma, who's in San Antonio. Right. So I'm going to have to go find someone to, to do this with me. Right. And... Uh, I remember just shooting out texts to the guys that met at orientation and one of the guys that met at orientation was a guy named Owen Mann and he was one of the, probably the first three names to pop in my head. Yeah. And I shot a text out and I didn't really think it was going to happen just because like we would met at one orientation tour and hadn't seen each other again. And I was like, Hey man, haven't seen you in a while. You want to start a fraternity? <laughs> <laughs> and I sent that to, to two or three guys and I got no, no. And Hell no. then yes. Yeah, and <laughs> oh, then I got, yeah. but then no, then I got a yes from Owen. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, just come out and meet us. And so Owen shows up at this barbecue place, and now it's me and Owen and Joey and Corey sitting at Friedman's barbecue. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're gonna do this. Yeah. So from there, we just started to run with it, and haven't looked back since.
0: That's awesome, man. And then, how many people were you
1: able to get in the uh, initial class? So that first class was, uh, was so there were five of us, there were five of us, Uh, only four were initiated because one had to go home for some family stuff uh, around the time of initiation. But it was uh, me and Owen and two other guys, Owen's roommate James and another buddy from their hometown high school, Christian. So thankfully Owen was an in-state student, he was from Houston, so he knew a couple people at UT already, which helped us with getting those first few guys in. And when,
0: when was this? What semester was this that you guys were restarting? This was the
1: fall of 2016.
0: Fall of 2016? Yes. Got it. Um, cool. And then uh, how did you guys grow after that? How 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 did you, what's it up to today?
1: Uh, today we currently sit at 22 members. Okay. Uh, so that's after three semesters. Uh, going into the semester, we're, we're trying to double our size, which is, you know, a huge task to take on. Uh, we're in the middle of rush right now, and it's going pretty well. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if we get there, um, but that's, you know, membership is the lifeblood of the fraternity. Right. And so recruitment has always been the main goal. In your
0: your vision, what would you like to see Teak get to eventually?
1: By the time I graduate, I'd like Teak to be right around the size of a 100-man chapter. Okay. And I don't think it's too far, you know, because it it grows faster as it gets bigger. Right. Uh, It's, you know, hopefully when we're at a 40-man chapter, we're still not taking pledge classes of six or seven guys. Right. Hopefully by the time we're at a 40-man chapter, we can can be easily taking pledge classes of 12 to 15 guys. Right. You know, um, because recruitment's a big thing for us. We have to make sure that we're growing otherwise like it's so easy for new chapters to just kind of fail and fade into obscurity and be present for a six period six year period of time. Right. So it's it's a it's a very tricky process. It's been extremely stressful at some points. It's yeah. been extremely rewarding at some points. But um this this spring semester is definitely, you know, a very crucial semester for Teague.
0: Right. And so what happens with those uh, initial guys like how do they uh get initiated and go through all that, you know, bullshit. You know? Yeah, so initiation was weird. Um,
1: our, our education process, or pledge ship if you want to call it that. Yeah, like a um, ship, yeah. Yeah, it? It, was, exactly. it was every Sunday night. Okay. Either Sunday or Monday night, we'd go into the student union, and I'd pull out my laptop, and I'd have Owen and Christian and James and Daniel, and we're all crowded around my laptop, and we go, we'd do a go-to meeting with Corey Martin. And we essentially just go through the TEAP guidebook uh, one chapter at a time, and he kind of explains to us some of the stuff we might know, and then he goes, "You guys got any questions?" And of course, we don't know what to ask because none of us know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's usually a no. We don't have any questions. He goes, awesome. Uh, just keep recruiting, guys. Okay. And it went from there. And for a while, we didn't know our recruitment. Met. I don't know if you got lucky because
0: there was no older guys to pick on you, or uh, if. We are this now. Yeah.
1: A little bit. I <laughs> really, don't know. It's really hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, because you know, some, of the, some of the newer classes, you know, where we've we've got them, you know, locked in with each other doing more stuff yeah. together like being in a group, uh they definitely bonded together better than we did. Right. It took me a lot longer to get to know Owen and Christian and James than it did to take, you know, from our new pledge class. Then it took, you know, Nick and Daniel Hawk to get.
0: Cuz a lot of the pledging when you're trying to put so much pressure on the pledges as an outside group of the older men of the fraternity is you're trying to get them to force to work together as a team and bond and say, all right, if we're going to get through this, we're going to have to get through it together because it's it's tough. Yeah. You know? Um, But anyway, so that's that's a really great uh, story. What are some lessons that you could share with people if they're starting at zero? And then we'll do a different set of lessons for when you're trying to get to, you know, 50 after you've got your first five. What do you do when you're starting at zero? You just... It's do?
1: all about who you start with. Yeah, those first few people you get are going to define your chapter. Yeah, like the, I'd say the first eight people who come into your chapter are going to define it. And if you look at it, you know the first eight people in a teak, that's definitely who does define it. Yeah. you know between me and Owen and James and Christian and Cameron Nickrew and uh, Vasilios, uh, who's our Greek buddy, like those like that's only seven. But yeah. you can just look at the first few guys in, and that's you know that's how the chapter is going to grow for the next. That's how it's going to be for the next four years. Right. Um, And so it's extremely important that you find guys who are upstanding men, guys who care about their grades, guys who are going to care about the chapter, and and those need to be the type of guys that you continue to recruit. It's just like minded people. Yeah. Uh, Two other points that I give you: uh, try and find guys who have uh, connections to where you are. Like if you can find someone who lives in state, that's great. If you can find someone who lives in town, that's even better. Yeah. Just because you can be there. Uh, a big thing for u t is you know fall rush starts in June, yeah, like all summer long people have stuff going on, so it's important to make sure that you can be there and be present to help you know build your chapter as much as possible right uh also i'd say the biggest one of the it's not a really mistake you know my our first semester on chap on campus, we had the highest chapter g p a of of any fraternity by a long shot, yeah, by like two tenths of a grade point, yeah um so we did really well and that's because we had a bunch of really smart guys. Uh, Owen and Christian were both petroleum engineering majors. I'm an aerospace engineering major and James was a business major. Yeah. And we all had very very So James, good James good. had it easy, the rest of y'all it. Exactly ass- yeah. <laughs> 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 Exactly. <laughs> but even James, James came in, you know, pretty much a full semester of hay where he was already taking upper level courses. Yeah. But those were the things that kind of caused us issues because you know, petroleum and aerospace engineers are a lot of pretty nerdy kids, not exactly the types who are going out to join, like, join and start a social organization. Right. So if you can go find, you know, a couple more business majors, a couple more government majors, uh, some communication majors, like those guys who, uh, this the, the career set, the, the major that they've chosen kind of points towards being able to network, being able to communicate with people, connect with people. Yeah. That's a lot better than going with engineers who came to school to learn how to do math. Right. Cause the, because the people who came to do business and, and do communications, part of their learning process is learning how to communicate with people. Right. And so starting a fraternity is something that offers a lot more to them and something that they're much more interested in.
0: Got it. Um, those, were, those were excellent tips, man. Um, and, uh, you know, just want to tell you again that uh, I'm really proud of you. And that's, that's really incredible that you guys were able to do that. I'm really thankful for that um so now at the uh at the point where you guys are now um and you have 22 members i guess um and who knows how many you have after this rush right um what is the important thing moving forward you know what when someone gets they can pretty much just apply your advice from the first two or three i think i think they're not going to go wrong if they get that initial group right and they just do logical things and get help and advice mm-hmm. from their nationals and you know follow a a typical rush strategy, they're going to be able to get to, you know, 20 or 30 or something if they selected the initial guys uh, in a proper manner, guys that other people that come along behind them are going to want to be like them. That's what that's what causes people to join a fraternity. They want to be more like the people. They want to spend time with the people that are in the fraternity. So I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, that will get you to a certain point, but that won't get you to, like, a uh, hundred guys mm-hmm. in your chapter. Yeah. So let's talk about that part of the journey, and that will bring us right into the housing thing. I want to discuss this housing thing. Right. Um, that's really important for a lot of people that are restarting their chapter or they're starting a colony of a new chapter. This will be perfect for those folks as mm-hmm. well. And I think a lot of our Teague brothers or people in other fraternities that listen to this podcast will gain a lot of insights if they just remember. If they take one thing away, it's be intentional with who you initially recruit. Absolutely. But the next thing is okay. So, what do you do when you're trying to break out? Uh, you have kind of a seed or a small tree planted, and you want to join the leagues of the other big, you know, fraternities on your campus and really grow into it. What is how do, how do you get there?
1: Yeah, so I'll say there's three main things. Three main things you got to talk about. First one, as we've been mentioning so much throughout this podcast, is housing. Right. Um, the second is tradition. And what defines you as a chapter, something that's going to extend among the years of all the guys you know. Okay. Uh, and the third is going to be your, inter- your integration with the rest of Greek life at your school. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> we'll, we're getting around to housing, but uh, the other two, uh, tradition and uh, your integration with Greek life. Uh, tradition super important because that's a big part of what keeps you know, me and you connected? Right. What's going to keep uh, me and Ted well connected? Right. All those guys who go through the different generations of Teak, you know, they have to have something in common. And so the hardest part is, you know, finding out what it is that those guys back in the 80s were doing and then what those guys in the early 2000s were doing and what we're doing now. Yeah. And finding how those all can be, you know, related, how they can all have, like, a common foundation to build upon. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's one of the most important parts of your brotherhood is what you all have in common, what you all those common experiences, all those common values. And so making sure that you have that tradition of, of what your values are, of uh, what your initiation process is going to be like, of how you all behave, what, what your, your culture is like is a huge part. Just like you said earlier with the company's culture, it's important that the tradition is there for you all to have that same foundation.
0: Yeah, so uh, let's pause on that one uh i think that is really uh astute and really insightful i agree with that um that's a great point too i never even imagined mm-hmm. uh like how do you guys even know the traditions that you know my group whatever you want to call them that that 2003 to 2016 right. people we had some traditions that could potentially just been completely lost how did you tap back into those
1: i gonna be honest with you there's a good chance that a lot like a a lot of them were lost. Yeah. Because we had Stitch around to kind of help guide us with some of the things that he did when he was around. But as you know, the chapter was starting to flood, flutter out yes. as it got into his years being here with Teague. And so uh, a lot of it was just kind of getting in touch with alumni and saying, like, hey, like, what do we do for this part? Yeah. What, what did you guys do? And a lot of times they have advice. So, you know, there's certain, you know, education traditions and there's certain, you know, tailgate traditions and all that stuff where... We don't necessarily know them super well, but we're we're trying to learn them still. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first tailgate we had in the fall of twenty sixteen when there were only you know five or six of us. Uh, we went out to the tailgate and and they had this whole chant, this like teak chant, and I probably could tell you like three lines of that chant still. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and okay. so it's it's an important part to to try and get those those different things down, um, and and try and bring them back because that's what connects us to the older guys.
0: Yeah, and so I guess just. Uh, asking the other guys, the older guys, the older members, and uh, telling them, hey, you, you guys didn't write those traditions down and mm-hmm. keep them in a safe box for us. Like, you're going to have, this has to be an oral tradition. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. We're going exactly. back to some old school methods of passing down wisdom. Mm-hmm. You guys need to uh, communicate with us and, and fill us in on what Absolutely. you guys are doing. Yeah,
1: and there's some stuff, too, that uh, Rob Parsons still has locked in his attic <laughs> that if we just, because we don't have a house yet, we don't have anywhere to, to put the stuff. Yeah. Everybody lives in these small dorms and condos that we, right. we can't we can't take all these things out of his attic and, and put them anywhere yet. But uh, we're looking into, you know, trying to get a storage locker somewhere nearby campus, which is harder than you would imagine. Yeah. Um, so that until we get that house, which thankfully we have one coming up for this next semester, uh, we can kind of get access to those and start to see a little bit more into the past of Teak yeah. and how we can ingrain ourselves with the tradition that's already there.
0: Wow, well, that's fascinating, and I think people like Matt Wheeler has been involved, right? Yes, mm-hmm. he, he probably could help. I think Absolutely, yeah. Matt Wheeler
1: done yeah. well. him. Matt Wheeler and Rob Parsons are the two guys who've been around the most. Uh, Rob Parsons is the the chairman of the. Uh, Board of Advisors. Yeah. And Matt Wheeler is our chapter advisor. So those two guys are the two we see the most. And they definitely help us out with, you know, trying to learn the ways that they did things. Yeah. And integrate those back into what we're doing now.
0: Awesome. Okay. And uh, I'll make sure to, to visit quite frequently as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the, um, the second thing, what, what, What would be the second thing to go over after the, like you said, getting it from from 20 guys to 100, 120, whatever's, you know, really amongst the uh, large established fraternities on your campus. There's tradition, housing, what was your other thing?
1: Uh, integrating with the rest of your brief life.
0: So let's go with that, because yeah. that's another thing that you guys can do without. How It is,
1: and it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah. Because one of the things you can offer as a new young fraternity is that you're a little bit different from the status quo. Right. But at the same time, you also want to be involved with the status quo, because that's why a lot of people are joining it in the first place. Right. So, you know, to be a chapter that's different, that, you know, isn't going to do some of the things that other, other fraternities do as part of, like, the school-wide kind of deal, Yeah. Uh, is good, because there's some people who don't like those things, and it, it opens you up to a new base of guys to recruit.
0: Yeah, it gives you a competitive advantage. You have something exactly. to offer them that's unique.
1: Exactly. But then at the same time, there's guys who are thinking, okay, but I do think it's kind of cool that every other fraternity UT does its thing. Yeah. So like one of the big things we dealt with was uh, the whitewashed jeans and boots and, uh, that a lot of, you know, as new members are go- coming in and going through their new member process. Uh, they're required to wear or suggested to wear whitewashed jeans and and cowboy boots and maybe a certain type of polo shirt. Yeah. Uh, every day from induction to initiation. Yeah. And so one of the things we wrestled with early on was okay, is that something we want to make our members do? Yeah. Because especially for you know a lot of the out of state guys who are coming in, we didn't own cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe one of us owned a pair of whitewashed jeans. So the idea of going out and buying you know a hundred and forty dollar pair of cowboy boots and you know buying another $30 pair of jeans just to
0: yeah five of them I mean it's like yeah exactly or to, like to wear
1: that around all the time seemed a little bit you know a little bit of a stretch for a fraternity that's so small like not necessarily something where you want to pour a bunch of financial uh, liability into yeah
0: but you don't necessarily want people wearing bandanas either exactly hoodies yeah. or something right <laughs> and so
1: it was it was this whole kind of thing where we had to figure out what we wanted to do and we ultimately ended up settling with you know suggesting that our members wear um, business casual yeah. every Wednesday. And then maybe, you know, we had I think we had something else going on for the this past fall, too. Yeah. But just something that still, you know, like you said, having putting that pressure on them externally as a group so that they bond closer together. Yeah. And then also at the same time having that image that people know, oh, when you see a teak walking around on Wednesday wearing a very nice clothing, like, it's because that guy's trying to be a teak. Yeah. So...
0: Um, I think it helps. It's it's symbolic, and there's something about exactly. it. I think it's a good idea, and the other part is that access to the girls on campus and having <laughs> being able to mingle with them. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, hard it, it hard brings something up. Right? It's like,
1: oh, you're in you're in a fraternity, and I'm in a sorority, and it just kind of it opens up communication opportunities.
0: Right. So I guess you want to be integrated in that fashion as well, right? Exactly. That's something yeah. that takes more progress, though, because right. It's uh, how's that going?
1: Uh, it's going pretty well. You know, like we, next we we've, had mixtures. we've had some mixers. We've had some mixers with Mr. other socials. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've had some mixers with some other sororities and some spirit groups on campus. Cool. And we're working hard to stay involved with IFC uh, and and be a part of all the things they do. Right. Um, IFC is really pushing to to integrate a lot more. The big thing they're doing right now is is trying to get big schedules out. Uh, they'll have all the social events and philanthropy events and recruitment events for all the different fraternities listed, so that. You know, people can schedule around each other, keep parties from conflicting, keep philanthropy events from conflicting, um, and just make sure there's more communication there so that chapters can coexist more rather than compete. Uh, Because UT only has 10 to 12% of its students involved with Greek life. Right. And probably, you know, only half to a third of that is IFC. So building up how many students are involved with Greek life is just kind of a common interest among all of us. Right. Because if we can get more students at UT... Involved with UT Greek life, then it makes it a lot easier. We're not necessarily competing with each other for the same recruits every semester. Right, and then all
0: boats will rise. Right, exactly. That's great. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: okay, the third one. This is going to be the big one. So, housing. The home. Yeah, you gotta have a. You have to have a fraternity house mm-hmm. or a sorority house if you want to establish yourself and really sink in and lay down anchors to be around for a long haul and be right. able to withstand and, and buttress yourself, you know, that one bad rush class or whatever isn't just gonna totally knock down the whole thing. Exactly. Um, and it helps you get I mean let's be frank, it helps you recruit more people, more high quality people. Absolutely. You have a fraternity house that everyone can can come together, congregate at, and it's a it's a social symbol and it's it's a place where you can have, you know, better parties, which I know sounds silly, but it is important part of the uh experience you know that you can have that social experience that you can't right. get when you're outside of greek life it's really really compelling to mm-hmm. to young guys um so uh how do you uh, what lessons have you learned about trying to get your fraternity to get a house and let's just talk about that for the last section of the podcast that's gonna be fascinating
1: yeah so as you mentioned earlier the hardest thing about housing is dealing with a lease because like you said you Teague was in a, a lease over on Nueces for like a decade almost. Yeah. And it's hard because you need that house. You can't afford to buy a house, so you got to lease a house. But there's also drawbacks to being in a house that you're leasing. So um, the big thing is that, you know, in order to get a house purchased, you have to show your alumni as the people who are going to invest the money in, into your organization to purchase that property and get that house. You have to show them that you're able to maintain it, that you're able to consistently fill it. And because ultimately that's what makes it financially viable right. and that's ultimately the most important thing is that this house is going to be an economic burden on anyone. right? So the big thing is you have to grow to a big enough size to be able to, to warrant owning a home and you don't want to you don't want to pull the trigger too soon when you're only a 30-man chapter and say hey we can we can fill a house that only sleeps seven people Uh, and then go out and purchase a house that, you know, seven people can live in, but then be stuck with this property that you now own, that you're now responsible for, and you don't want to go out and pay fees to, to move out of that one and into another one again when you get bigger. Yeah. So leasing a house, we decided was a more, was a more viable option for the interim. Right. Because we wanted that property to be able to do those things you said, to be able to, to have parties, have storage, have recruitment events, have a central place for our brothers to congregate, um, and, and really just contribute to the brotherhood, the social, just every aspect of our fraternity. Right. But we didn't want to lock ourselves into a small house because, you know, you're essentially locking yourself into being a small chapter. Right. So we secured a lease. We have just huge, enormous amounts of thanks to fraudder Cameron Nickrew uh, for that process. He did. He spent countless hours working with uh, a realtor and going through himself and just working on all those different things in order to to put it together and really organize it so that we could get it. And we ended up leasing a house that's uh, right on Dean Keaton, uh, close to all the engineering buildings, which is perfect for our fraternity because we've got so many petroleum and aerospace and mechanical engineers. Bring it on, that's fine. Yeah. And um, it's a pretty great place to, to stay. And even within Find the Lease itself, we had a whole problem of getting guys, you know, okay, we got to find the guys who can live in the house, guys who can afford it, how do we split it so that guys can be comfortable with who they're living with and be able to afford the rent that they're paying. Um, how do we find a property that'll be okay with a, a Greek organization moving in? You know, right. With so much of the the media that surrounds Greek life nowadays, there's a lot of bad perceptions of of what goes on in a fraternity house. Right. And so, the idea to a landlord of having a fraternity move into your property is just imagine like horrifying. <laughs> Probably the worst case scenario of what type of tenants you could have. Yeah. So, uh, luckily, you know, the fact that we've got outstanding member that we have such a high GPA that we've been involved with all of our philanthropy and community service stuff that we don't we haven't any run in with authorities or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And we're a new organization of young men uh, that helped us we with with getting property. Um, the bigger hold, the bigger drawback was finding a house that fit us right, uh, which was the same thing I said earlier with sizing it appropriately. Yeah. So first off property in, in West campus was just outrageously expensive. Yeah. And that's where most I'd say probably 90% of fraternity houses at UT are located is in West Campus. Mm-hmm. But the property is so expensive that, you know, when we went to look at a house that was in our price range per, per person, mm-hmm. it was an absolute dump. It was horrifying to walk into. It was a place that another fraternity um, has already been living in. Uh, and it was a non-IFC fraternity, but when we walked in, it was just like, there's trash all over the floor. The, the shelves are broken and half bent down. There's a music, there's a giant speaker sitting there playing music with a phone on top of it, but there's no one in sight. <laughs> yeah, and the whole place was just really, really run down. Versus, you know, when we go out to just on the other side of campus, just right off, you know, two blocks from the engineering quad.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we we were looking at one house that even had a pool. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, it was it was all about trying to find a place that that fit us well, that was close to where the students that we're recruiting are going to be, um, that's close to where our members need to be every day, that has the space we need in order to have our events. And ultimately, we, we found a property that fit us really well. So we're, we're thankful for that.
0: Cool. And then you, I guess the strategy would be to first lease a place, you know, use that as a springboard and keep executing rush effectively until you get big enough that you can buy a house. Exactly. Have you done much research into what it what it actually looks like and what it takes and common strategies for a fraternity to rally the the financial support from its alumni mm-hmm. and uh, execute
1: actually the purchase of a right. fraternity house. Yeah. So the big thing is getting in touch with your alumni who who you think can help with funding it and saying, hey, we, we want to do this. We want to shoot for it. Yeah. Tell us where we need to be in order to get that going. Okay. And so uh, when, when we're communicating with like our alumni.
0: Sorry to interrupt you. It just reminds me so much of raising money for, for a company.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's you know? virtually the same thing. Yeah. So Stitch, the guy we mentioned earlier, who's who's now working for J.P. Morgan, um, he helped us put together a big financial plan of how we can essentially set it up as more of an investment for our alumni and, and even possibly outside investors, which isn't ideal. Yeah, uh, We can talk about that in a second, but usually you want your alumni to be investors because they understand the value of it, right. that it's providing something more than just a return on investment. Uh, we're, we try to offer some sort of return on investments that alumni are, you know, Losing out on the money that they're they're putting they're investing into the fraternity, right? Maybe but, a couple hundred thousand dollars or something. Exactly. Yeah. So with that money, you could be you know putting it in, into stocks or bonds and, and making you know six somewhere between four and six percent yield yearly on it. Yeah. And we don't want we don't want our alumni to feel like they're putting all this money into it and just missing out on that. Right. And so it's it's fair to offer a return on investment. Yeah. That's that's comparable. Yeah. So we tried to set it up in a way that makes it uh, financially ideal, but then also contributes to the fraternity and helps build up that organization that they care so much about. And the big thing was saying, okay, where do we need to be as a chapter to make you feel comfortable with helping us take that next step? Yeah. And so a lot of our alumni laid out plain and simple. They said, you need to be at least three times the capacity of the house or four times the capacity of the house. Right. And so we said, all right, that's what we'll do then. We'll go lease a house and we'll recruit until we've got, you know, 80 guys and then we'll be able to go back and say hey we've got 80 guys can we try and, and purchase or build a 20 man house now yeah and that's ultimately it's it's a long process so the earlier you can show that you're carrying momentum that you're going to continue your recruitment to, to keep building the earlier you can get them comfortable with starting to take the initial steps of uh you know forming an llc and, and or building a trust or whatever it's going to take to go out and purchase that property and and start the process of uh, building or renovating or acquiring the house that you want. Right. And and within that, there's a lot of other things about, you know, how you're going to structure the investment, how you're going to uh, secure the property. Um, there's different ways that you can find. There's some uh, decrepit properties that have been uh, foreclosed or uh, abandoned in West Campus. Yeah. And so going out and trying to get the city to let you place in an options order on, on that property to secure it is, is just there's a lot of complex things that go into it. Right. So having the alumni help of, of people who are involved with the city planner's office, people who know the way around the real estate market um, and the housing industry, uh, that is just an invaluable resource. Yeah.
0: So look for look for some alumni who's successful in real estate. Absolutely.
1: We even reached out to some alumni from the USC chapter uh, to help us, you know, US, the, our chapter at USC has two houses actually. And so we figured we'd reach out to their chapter advisor and see uh, how they went about structuring that process because they're obviously very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, they were extremely helpful with um, getting us all caught up on what we needed to do in order to secure a house for ourselves.
0: Okay. Um, damn. Well, I think that was an incredible podcast. I have no idea how long that was or if it was too yeah. long or too short. But uh, Who knows
1: how long we've been in this room? <laughs> I, think, I think
0: that was uh, really useful yeah. for people. Uh, maybe we'll come back and and check in on, on you guys at some point. Absolutely. I'd love to um, again. So, what's your last word of advice for someone who's at zero right now and is nervous and they don't think that they can get anyone or you know whatever. What would you tell your former self?
1: Carefully evaluate how committed you are to it. Yeah. Because it's an all or nothing thing. And I'm not just saying it's a most or a little, it's all or nothing. There have been a lot of times when I felt extremely discouraged about taking on this this process of raising this chapter. And there have been times when I've been extremely ecstatic about it, but it is a roller coaster of emotions. And, and I've seen, you know, the guys who are around me, all, all the other dudes who've been in here since, you know, day one or day ten, mm-hmm. I've seen how the coaster has, you know, sometimes gotten the best of them. It's not for everyone, and it's going to show in the guys you recruit. Um, part of being a leader is being able to inspire people, being able to encourage people to pursue a cause, and that's ultimately the ability you're going to develop the most when you try and start a chapter. And yeah. it is something that you're going to use the rest of your life, and it's something that you definitely need to actively try and learn. Um, and if you can master that skill, it'll take you wherever you want to go.
0: All right. Well, that was fantastic. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Uh, restarting yeah. this chapter and for giving your advice to everyone else and sharing this with uh, the world. <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> so, I mean, if it's on the internet, it's technically sharing guess, it with the world. I guess, yeah. So uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me out. Yeah, no problem. I hope that was a really interesting interview and you enjoyed listening to that and hopefully got something out of it. I just wanted to tell you that this podcast is sponsored by Modern Greek, a fraternity and sorority apparel company unlike any other in the United States. Um, At Modern Greek, we believe that there's three main problems and just shitty parts of the ordering experience as a fraternity or sorority. The first one being collecting all the orders and payment from everyone individually and doing these online orders properly the second one being the pass out process and actually distributing those shirts and that apparel to your members after the order comes in and the third pain point uh, and difficult part of the process just being the production process after your order is placed is it going to be consistent is it going to come in in a timely fashion and is there any transparency in that production process So the way that we solved the first problem is through a proprietary online ordering platform that gives the t-shirt chair complete transparency and is the most advanced in our industry. You can log in with Facebook so your members don't have to create their own login, save their credit card, and like I said, the t-shirt chair sees a behind-the-scenes look at how that online order is progressing. So we've taken the pain out of collecting payment from members. And for that handout process, we have the most advanced and convenient individual bagging process in the country. So when your order arrives at your fraternity or your sorority chapter in the lobby, it's alphabetically organized and uh, members can just go to the right box that's you know uh, alphabetically organized with their last name in there and they grab their, their order. It's all in one bag labeled with their name on it. So the handout process is completely painless for the t-shirt chair to do. And the last problem is that production process. We've solved that by having an extremely consistent two-week turnaround and by giving you complete transparency in the process with our order tracking technology that lets you see tracking information every single fraternity and sorority member will know what step their apparel is and being produced and delivered to the house Um, all of that we do for prices that are comparable competitive and uh, we offer price matching so they're exactly the same prices that you're probably used to paying with any other greek licensed apparel company um, so it's not for outrageous prices either. Uh, that's our sponsor, Modern Greek. Please go check them out. It's at moderngreek.us is the website, and if you have a quote or you want to you know, seriously inquire about a specific order, you can go to moderngreek.us slash quote request or get in touch with me personally, Zach Cook, on my email, zach at moderngreek.us, Z-A-C-H at moderngreek.us, or on my cell phone at 936-443-3449. We'd be more than happy to help you out. Thanks.